This is episode 107 of the Rising Man podcast with Josh Mason. A healthy outside starts on the inside. What up, familia? Jetty Azuma here, host and the creator of the Rising Man movement. This podcast that you're tuning into, in case you didn't know, is all about examining what modern manhood is and providing men with what they need to become the men they've always wanted to be. If you're looking to get more involved with the Rising Man movement, be sure to go to risingman.org. All Rising Man content, events, and information is over there at this new address that we've got. Yes, that includes podcast downloads and information for each and every episode. If you're a man who doesn't have a men's circle, who doesn't have men that he checks in with regularly, who have his back, who are holding you accountable to the things you say you want to do, then wait no longer. Join us inside the Rising Man Fire Circle for only $67 a month. You get access to your own men's team, monthly training calls with me, guest presenters, and so much more, including discounts for all of our other Rising Man events. It's a no-brainer, fellas. If you don't have a men's circle, there's no excuse. If you're listening to this podcast, it means that you've got Wi-Fi and access to internet. So that's all you need to be a part of this. So go ahead, get yourself signed up. And if you're feeling the call to also be a part of our Compass Crew, our four-day men's initiation to ceremonially mark your passage into manhood, to clarify your purpose, and to create lifelong brotherhood with nine other men. If that intrigues you and you want to be part of it, head over to risingman.org and click on the link that says initiations to apply for compass if you want to be a part of our spring crew that goes out in april this year 2020 then go fill it out now because we only have three spots left all right my guest for today is none other than the josh mason he was the 2010 brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion and the 2012 pan-american champion suddenly october 2013 he began to experience debilitating panic attacks suicidal feelings and gut-wrenching anxiety after pharmaceutical drugs provided no relief he found himself on a hero's journey traveling to the corners of the earth experimenting with some of the world's most powerful hallucinogens when neither ayahuasca float tanks fasting meditation colon cleansing or yoga could provide him with relief he began to lose faith in a surreal sequence of events that transpired three years after beginning this journey, he found out about heavy metal poisoning and started a comprehensive detoxification protocol. Now, alive and well to tell the tale, Josh has created the DetoxDudes.com, a company devoted to helping people overcome toxicity. In this episode, Josh and I discussed how an integrated man is as equally fierce as he is loving and why we must heal the boy in order for the man to appear. We discussed how Josh was able to heal after years of constantly wearing the warrior mask, why embracing our vulnerability as human humans as part of the awakening journey, how to turn the painful metamorphoses of life into vital learning lessons, the power of plant medicines, fasting, and gut biome health, Josh's experience of deep pain while living with mercury poisoning. We talked about pesticides, fertilizers, air quality, substances that everyone should avoid, what detoxing can actually do for you, and how it will not get rid of all your problems, but make you better equipped and more clear to embrace your inner journey. And the ever important reminder that all we have is our word and that everything else is up for interpretation. Enjoy this episode. We got a bomb one here. Without further ado, Josh Mason. All right, family. Jersey is in the house today. (laughs) 
My man, Josh Mason, we're, we're both out in California now, but he's coming in hot from Santa Cruz, formerly from New Jersey. How you doing, bro? Good, man. Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I know. I always joke about with my East Coast guests that you guys bring the best out of me. <laughs> you bring a former life out of me. I've been out here yep. on the West Coast long enough that the, the Jersey accent has dwindled a little bit, but yep. it, it always always comes through hot on these episodes. You could leave Jersey, but it'll never leave you, right? That's it, man. I used to <laughs> I used to try and distance myself, even divorce myself from the Jersey. I used to tell people it was my dirty little secret, but I've embraced it a lot more, man, because I find that it's actually an asset here on the West Coast, that East yes. Coast mentality with the West Coast heart. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, we could have our whole podcast about that one subject, but I've, <laughs> I've completely seen that it's really rare to basically be speaking your truth and be like radically authentic in California that it's just on the West Coast, people don't do that. They uh-huh. weren't brought up the way we were. Uh-huh. But in Jersey, it's like a dime a dozen. You just, Oh, of course, he's going to just share with me his truth. That's what people do on the East Coast, you know, but on the West Coast, it seems to be a little more like passive aggressive, wanting to be liked, wanting to keep the peace. We don't, <laughs> we don't really do that in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, there's all, so many trainings and workshops around speaking your truth and being your authentic self. I'm like, dude, just, just go move and to live Jersey. In, yeah, move to Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Live with an Italian family for yeah. a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's for, that's for another day. We'll do another bonus episode about that one. Another time. Let's start off with this man, where I start every episode for you. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Hmm, I love that question. Oh my goodness. Because first of all, I've never been asked that question. But second of all, I always talk about how I dated girls my whole life and now I'm dating a woman. And what a difference that that is. And really, it took her to bring out my man in like the deepest way. And she continues to bring out my man. I would say a boy is has never experienced that, that rite of passage, that rite of passage that strips everything away from you, that forces you into something deep, deep inside your body and soul, that forces you to stop caring about being liked, stop caring about looking good, stop caring about putting on a performance. And it just, as you become a man, I feel that we step into something that's deeper than any of those constrictions or conditions, any of those things that were put on us. And we step into our raw essence of masculinity. And I think a man has the ability to be fierce and to be loving at the same time or whatever is called for. Like I see a lot of men that are really, really fierce, you know, like UFC fighters. And then I see a lot of men that are really, really new age and spiritual. And it's all about peace and love and heart, you know, but the truth is that I feel that we are all of that. And when we can merge that and pull from any of those places in a, in a given circumstance, I feel that is an indicator of, of manhood. And then being, you know, being okay with our feelings and our emotions and being open and vulnerable and, and all of this, I feel, is a really important piece of manhood and taking care of one's health, reclaiming one's sovereignty, you know, reclaiming one's power over the voices that have trained us for all of, all of our years. Mm. I would say another piece of it, and this is all just free flowing. I don't really have a set answer for you. Another piece of it would be, you know, the way we treat a woman, you know, the way we can hold a woman, the, how we can we hold her heart? How can we be present for her and not in our egos? So I, I feel the boy and the man is a spectrum that exists that will never fully be a man and will never fully be a boy again. We're living on this sort of spectrum and we have to integrate. I feel like Tony Robbins says it best. You heal the boy and you become a man, right? Or mm. heal the man and heal the boy and the man appears. Mm. And that's what I believe. I believe that we never want to get rid of our boy. 
And we never want to say, okay, it's no longer time for you. But if we can heal him and integrate him, then we become a man. Mm, I love that answer. So one of the things that I heard in your response that I've been talking a lot about lately is really acknowledging that as men, we have emotions, especially thinking about this East Coast mentality, right? Here we go. We can't avoid the East Coast talk is I saw a lot of guys growing up, my, my father included, and many of my uncles, my dad's friends, who clearly experienced emotions, but had a very quick safety switch, where as soon as the emotions were coming up, it was like, uh, push that button and clamp it down. Um, I saw a lot of emotional constriction in my upbringing. And I, I don't think it's just an East Coast thing, but I think especially back there with that machismo attitude, you know, you're talking yes. about guys who have the ability to be fierce, I think a lot of those guys who have the ability to be fierce and are more one-dimensional in that sense, they're so out of command of their emotions that they just compress them down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, at least for me, my belief is that that's where a lot of the depression and the suicidal tendencies, and then also the outward expressions of violence, being violent towards other people, emotionally reactive, even if it's not physical violence, uh, verbal violence, abuse in whatever form or fashion is related to not not expressing those emotions. And I think a lot of guys are afraid to express those emotions. I know I was and have been for a long time because I wasn't in command of them. Every time I would go into an emotional space, I would just feel like a mess. It would feel like I just puked all over the place and shit my pants at the same time because my emotions were just pouring out of me. And so, so what has your experience been with just the emotional side of being a man and how that fits into this profile? Yeah, I had to go through a lot of shame I was a wrestler for five years and then I was a jiu-jitsu athlete competing around the world in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And everything I learned was basically training me how to be emotionless, you know, how mm -hmm. to persevere, how to win at all costs and how to not let emotions dictate my life decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I had to deal with a lot of shame when I first cracked uh, October, 2013, when I basically went from being this strong what I thought was a man fighting, doing jujitsu, working in corporate America, making good money, living in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I broke October 2013 and all of that cracked and melted away. And I was left with raw emotions. And I had to experience tons of shame around it. Like basically an entire learning process of this is okay. This is part of the human experience. This doesn't make me weak. This doesn't make me stupid. This doesn't make me volatile or mentally unstable to have emotions in this way. It's simply part of the human experience that I've been lied to about and I've been trained incorrectly. What, what was the first time you heard a different, an alternative to that? What you just said there, you had to embrace that. Where did that first message come through? I'll never forget. His name was Matt Johnson. I hope you're listening to this, Matt. He was a jujitsu friend who had done a lot of Vipassana meditation. And he was one of the only people that I was tuned into at the time training jujitsu in New York City that had like a spiritual essence to him. You know, everyone else was very business or just very, a lot of different flavors there in New York, but there wasn't a deep I didn't, wasn't tuned into anyone that had a deep sense of wisdom uh, spiritually. And he was about four or five years older than me. And when my breakdown started, I would just, I was starting to resonate with him. He had this like open heart. It was like, you know, qualities in people that you completely ignore. I completely ignored as a fighter 
who wasn't in emotional distress, all of a sudden became these qualities that were like the loudest in the room, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't care how tough someone is. Like, does he have an open heart? Like, could he hold mm-hmm. me emotionally? I'm, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Let's go out <laughs> for a coffee, you know? <laughs> like, so, so for me, it was, it was him just sharing, you know, about his depression and his feelings and his, his, he had his feminine, his feminine energy about him in a really beautiful balanced way. And he just would share with me his heart and hold space for me. And, and, and that's what really started everything for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. I, I could really resonate with that. It makes me think about, a lot about this conversation around masculine and feminine. And, you know, we talk about the pendulum swinging too far in one direction. I think you were saying that the, guy, the guys who only know how to be fierce or the guys who only know how to be really soft and open hearted. And, you know, I think it's being able to listen for whatever the situation calls for. Yes. And I know there are a lot of guys who were raised by women, only had sisters, only had women around. Either their dad was out of the picture or wasn't, you know, wasn't available because he was working or something like that. So not a very strong masculine influence. And so to step to step up and be more of that fierce warrior side of being a man is is very foreign for, for those kinds of guys. And then yes. the opposite is true for uh, a guy like yourself, like you said. And, but it's like that undernourished part of yourself. It's like if you never ate fruits or vegetables and all of a sudden you had a smoothie and you just like <laughs> zapped with yeah. energy. It's like, yes. damn, what was I missing this whole time? Mm-hmm. But I know that, that especially the fierce guys, the hyper-masculine dudes, there's so much resistance from the belief of what it means to be connected to your emotions, connected to your heart, connected to something that's not logical, that's more feeling-based, that prevents a lot of guys from tapping into it. And, and I see a lot of athletes who tap into emotion at specific times. I always use the example of LeBron James hitting that game-winning shot and jumping up on the table and beating his chest and mm-hmm. roaring and just the crowd feeding off of that. But you don't see him. He plays a very emotional game, but not the whole time. You know, he's dialed in. He can go. He goes back and forth between those two. So mm-hmm. for a guy with your background, how did you figure out how to bring harmony to those parts of yourself? Mm. I also fought with a lot of emotion, but I feel that, you know, the emotions of victory and this feeling of like raw force and power and anger is like a very, it's a very small spectrum of the emotion, right? That Mm -hmm. I guess it's not really that vulnerable, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was about making peace with vulnerability because I equated vulnerability with weakness. Mm. So the thing that, that the places that I had to go is that I had to basically retrain myself and continue to retrain myself in, in a way that I need people. I need humanity. I need, I, I couldn't do anything this morning without other people. All the food I got was from other people. My house was built by someone else. This internet is being run by some sort of company. This microphone was built by someone else. So the illusion that I could live life by myself and tackle everything alone in this emotionless sort of like machismo masculine energy, that was just completely popped for me. And I just saw the the BS, the smoke and mirrors in all of that and where that paradigm leads to. You know, I got to be honest, I think it leads to a much less complex life. And I think that it can lead to like but, but then at some point, I feel that illness will set in and I feel that that person's missing out on a huge part of life. But in reality, like the emotional part of things make things really complex and make things really <laughs> difficult, right? So, so anyway, for me, it was, it was about basically recognizing that I am a vulnerable meat body and that at any moment in time, my life can be completely changed. I can get hit by a car, hit by a truck. Anything can change. We are vulnerable. 
animals in nature are vulnerable. And what I had to realize is that I need humanity and I need other people. And all of these feelings of emotions that make me feel vulnerable are now okay. Mm. And I declared them to be okay. And I declared them to be out of the shadows, out of the closet. And I declared them to be able to talk about them with other men and other people, Mm. you know, and that's what changed my life and continues to, I have to always be in check and monitor that because I have a really strong tendency to get out of my way. No one talked to me. I'm on my mission. Leave me alone. Right. Mm -hmm. But always coming back to like the vulnerabilities. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's a a great response. I mean, it it leads me to another curiosity. I want to speak for a moment specifically to the martial artist in you, because I'm Mm -hmm. also a martial artist. I practiced capoeira for seven years. And Mm. one of the things I've discovered, I'm sure you know as much as I do, that when when you're rolling with somebody or when you're playing a game, playing capoeira with somebody, you, you get to know someone really intimately, actually. Yes. It's a very vulnerable thing to be grappling with someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and I found that I can often see ha- reflections of how I'm doing my life by the way that I do my martial art, by the way that mm-hmm. I, I show up in those moments. And so I, I know as a martial artist and speaking to that vulnerability, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, we, we train ourselves to counter, to protect, to guard. And I'm wondering if you saw some of that translate over into just your emotional guarding and how you conducted the rest of your life. Because as a, as a fighter, the last thing you want to do is let somebody in. <laughs> so yes. that, that's death. That's, that's, that's losing right there. That, that could, that's putting yourself at risk. And I don't think that it's very different in the mind when we think of letting somebody into our mental or emotional space. So, yeah. so speak to that for a minute. Sure. For me, as a jiu-jitsu fighter, I was pretty much like once I started jiu-jitsu, I felt that I was like very dominant. Like I, I, I won the white belt world championships. I won the blue belt Pan Americans. I won purple belt Abu Dhabi trials. Like every time I was escalated through the belt system, I was really like at the top of the, the belt. And so vulnerability for me was a funny relationship because I did whatever I had to, to not experience vulnerability. And that meant training harder with my whole life revolved around not being vulnerable on the mat. Like if someone got in and choked me out or caught me in a move, I would literally, it it would make me sick. I would get sick for like a couple of days. If I lost a tournament, I would literally, it felt like my life was going to end because my ego was so in structured and intact with losing, winning, and jujitsu is life. But for me, if I go back in my history, everything was devoted to never being vulnerable from the job that I chose to the women that I chose to the the girls rather, because girls didn't make me feel vulnerable. A woman did, Mm -hmm. right? Girls, I could be in control. I can be in power and I could be in the dominant space. A woman would force me into the the vulnerable spaces, right? So... Mm -hmm. In jujitsu, like I just remember being, I trained harder than anyone else. I worked harder. I, I just was relentless because of how much I hated losing and how much I hated feeling exposed or vulnerable. And that was an entire like process of cracking. You know, my illness basically purged a lot of that out of my, my system. But again, my whole life was devoted to how do I prevent this wound from getting touched because God was guarding it. I was guarding years and years and years of trauma and buildup of an ego and some sort of paradigm. I was guarding it with every amount of life force I had because if that got exposed, then my whole life would have to change, which it did. Yeah. yeah. And I think we all hit that breaking point somewhere along the line. I think a lot of yeah. re- a lot of the reason that it happens for guys in their 20s and 30s is because that's 20 or 30 years that you've been guarding that that vulnerability. 
and obviously we're painting a broad stroke here, right. but a lot of men are not, have never revealed the, their, their full truth, their full authentic selves to anybody right. on this planet, and including themselves. You know, the internal dialogue is so deceptive that we oftentimes we don't even get to see ourselves when we look in the mirror. And yes. so we start to crack open, like you said. And I think a lot of guys, it, it's, it is, it's like, it's an illness. It gets, it's exhausting. It's exhausting yes. to keep up that charade. And the deeper, the, the more you step out into the world, the world exposes that vulnerability. And I think it's just like facing a really good opponent. A good opponent will play to you, play, play you into your, to your weaknesses. And I think that the world does that. So if we don't, if we don't create a culture where we face off with this stuff earlier on, then we're just setting our, ourselves up collectively to keep having these big breakdowns. So yes. do you think that that's actually necessary for every one of us to have that stepping off the cliff moment, that almost hitting rock bottom moment? You know, I don't know. I feel that with the right upbringing, with like really badass, spiritually awakened parents, I still feel that an individual soul is still going to go through some something mm-hmm. deep and you know, transformational, some sort of metamorphosis. But I do not feel that it has to be so extreme like the one that I experienced. Mm. I think that with unconscious parents who are not doing spiritual work and who are living an old paradigm, I think that it makes it almost necessary for for us as the next generation to go through this this process mm-hmm. of unraveling. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what else. I'm grateful for mine. Right. And I'm really like happy about it. And I make a living based on the fact that I had this crazy journey and, and all that. But I wonder if there's a way to raise children in a way where it doesn't have to be this hard and like drastic, you know? And I think that's why we've got so many 30 year olds who are still living in their, in their mom's house is because there, there's a generation who already tried that. There's a generation that already attempted, what does it look like to give my child everything and prevent them from any type of hardship that I possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of the guys, especially in the in the men's work masculine space that talk about the participation trophies and the helicopter parenting and, you know, the feminization of men because they've been so nurtured and cared for that by the time it's ready to step out into the world, it's like, oh shit, it's a fucking ice storm out here. I am not ready for this. I am not prepared. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think as much as we I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a father. I've got a four-year-old and I've got a seven-month-old, a four-year-old boy, seven-month-old girl. And I think the best thing that I can do is to instill values and to always create a context with my children about examining their experience and reflecting on it. Because I know that's something that I didn't, I don't remember getting a lot of with my parents and my upbringing. And something I was longing for was Somebody just to sit there with me and, and say, hey, let's let's look at this. Like, what, what, are, yes. you, what are you feeling? What's happening? What's yeah. going on? What are you feeling, right? Even yeah. that question. Just, just that I wish I question. could have been asked that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think, you know, I've got great parents, you know, and I've got a great relationship with them, but they're still uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> being with how what they're feeling and their emotions. And so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man, I don't think we can protect our kids from any of that. And I, honestly, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to. I wouldn't want to rob my son of those hard lessons, just like the ones you spoke about that made you who yeah. you are that allow you to make a living for yourself. Had you not gone through that, I'm sure you wouldn't be able to do what you do. Right. Yeah. I imagine there's a tricky balance. I'm not a father, but I imagine there's a tricky balance between protection and letting them like letting them learn the hard lesson. Yeah. You know, like when do you protect versus when do you let the elements get to them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm always an advocate for simplicity. So the, the guys on my men's team where we really lean heavy on our masculine edge, they're like, hey, listen, what's your job as a father? 
make sure he doesn't die, you know, <laughs> prepare him for the world and make sure that he, he makes it to the point where he can step out on his own. That's, that's uh-huh. really it. So it's, you know, I don't have to, you know, corral him at every step he takes. I just got to make sure he doesn't run into the street. Right. <laughs> Get hit by right. a car. And it's, you know, it's nice to try and make it as black and white as possible. But the key is nobody wrote the manual on, on being a parent. There's no yeah. instruction booklet out there. So let's talk a little bit more about this, this journey that you went on. You know, I know mm-hmm. that a big thing that you're into that you, you promote and help people with is detoxing. So just give us a little bit of context around what you, you spoke a little bit about this illness that you had, just mm-hmm. to give us some idea of what that was that you were dealing with and how you started to find a solution for it. Sure. Yeah. Basically, October 2013, I, I started experiencing what felt like a full-time acid trip. So I had taken acid one time when I was 15 and I had a, a bad hour on acid. The rest was enjoyable. But imagine the worst minute of an acid trip is what my consciousness started becoming without taking drugs on a 24-7 basis. No sleeping, or if I did fall asleep, the the trip continued. And to put it lightly, I would use the words suicidal depression, panic attacks, anxiety. That's all putting it lightly. I mean, I was tormented, completely, utterly, mentally tortured and tormented. Physically as well, after a few months, my body started shutting down on me. I started losing weight. My digestive process stopped working, severe constipation. And I spent three and a half, almost four years basically traveling around the world trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. I I lived in the Amazon jungle for a total of maybe seven or eight months. I drank, you know, I had 31 ayahuasca ceremonies. I did isolation dietas deep in the Amazon jungle. I worked, had 20 different mushroom ceremonies, went deep with all kinds of hallucinogens and fasting and and doctors and just was literally in a full-time search for what was going on with me. And really at no point in time in those three and a half years did my despair and panic really let up. I would say that I was I was connecting to God along the way and I was becoming clearer physically and I was losing weight and like losing emotional baggage and emotional weight and becoming clearer, but I was still really tortured somewhere deep, deep within. And I was at my last, absolute last leg of this journey. It was about three and three and three quarter years, almost four years. And I decided to go to Africa to do Iboga because I promised myself that I wouldn't take my own life until I tried Iboga because that, according to homework I did and some stories I heard was like a hallucinogenic reset, unlike anything else, right? So even more so than ayahuasca. So I decided to to get on that. I decided to go to Africa to work with a shaman, and this would be my last chance at at finding my peace. I had given up on doctors. I had given up on natural medicine. I had given up on fasting. I was fasting for twelve days at a time. I was fat. I probably fasted for four months out of an entire year because I would eat for three or four days, and then I would fast for three or four days. Eat for three or four days. Fast like I was just trying anything and everything to connect to my truth, to connect to what was going on with me. So two days before getting on that plane to go to Africa, which honestly I think would have killed me because of the I was completely emaciated and I've never seen another human being at that level of of just horror, horrid, <laughs> like just mm-hmm. mentally, physically destroyed. I have a photo of me from back in the day. And then I found out about mercury poisoning. I, I read a story online. I, I had mercury fillings and I'm in the, I'm looking in the mirror at my mercury fillings, like hours and hours a day, touching them, picking at them, having dreams about them. And I'm just constantly like, okay, if I go to Africa and do Iboga, I need to get these fillings out before I go, because maybe 
the way I thought it was maybe they're they're metallic and they're causing my antenna to be my consciousness antenna is not aligned to the right frequency. I have to get these out. And I had learned something called like galvanization, where, where basically metals in the mouth create disharmony in the magnetic pathways of the body. So I, I booked an appointment for a dentist. I think I literally went that day. I forget how quick it was, but it was very, very quick. And I got them taken out and I come home and I Google mercury poisoning stories. And I Googled it and I found this woman named Connie Fox who had gone through something similar. And I wept and I wept and I wept. And I finally felt like I had found a, some truth to my suffering. Hmm. And long story short, I spent the next eight, nine months resurrecting myself with minerals and mineral elixirs and nutrient dense foods and gut binders and gut healers and juices and smoothies and just all of these different techniques. And I literally resurrected myself from the dead with the help of several practitioners and healers. I turned out that I had severe mercury poisoning, which is a very, very tricky dance and severe parasites. I had hundreds and hundreds of worms, parasitic worms that were inside of me. Mm. Hundreds. I have photos of them, rope worms, roundworms, liver flukes, anything you can find on the internet. I, I had, most of us do to some degree or the other. But essentially, my life since then has been a full-time mission of healing myself in deeper ways and then giving whatever I learned along the way to, to the public. And I'm in a completely different space every year. It's like I look back on my year ago, Josh, every year, and I'm just like, I am so much more solid. I am so much stronger. I'm such a better man. I'm more wealthy. I'm more abundant. I'm more loving. I'm, it's like my life is just in the same way that my life collapsed. My life has resurrected in an mm. e equivalent way. So, yeah. so, so, so just for, uh, for, for timeline purposes, yeah. how long ago was this, the, the nadir of your, of your drop? Like when did you? October, 2013. And then I started, I learned about mercury poisoning in March of 2016. Okay. So, so really, really like three and a half years you've been on this resurrection Three and a half path. years that I've learned about what one of my core issues was and uh -huh. have, have, yeah, have healed myself. Yeah. Got it. So, so would you say that the, the depression was more of a consequence of the heavy metal poisoning or, or vice versa, or do you see them as separate? The heavy metals were a layer exacerbating all of my pre-existing wounds and samskaras and traumas and repressions. Mm -hmm. And I never, because of how thick and intense that layer was because mercury is a very, very sinister substance. I never would have been able to handle or deal with those samskaras without removing that layer. Mm -hmm. But once I removed that layer, I was left with a raw, naked, okay, it wasn't mercury that created all my problems. But I've, I've discovered that these heavy metals and these parasites and gut issues, they create an atmosphere that makes it very difficult to actually navigate this. What is the samskara versus what is just your body begging for nutrition, begging for minerals and vitamins. And that's kind of a dance and an art that I've been, you know, trying to master. Right. Right. And, and obviously heavy metal poisoning is a very serious thing and yeah. not everybody is going to have mercury poisoning, but what do you find are some of the more common challenges that, that, folks are facing. You said most of us have some sort of parasites in, yeah. our, in our guts. What, what are some of the most common ones that you think almost everybody is dealing with on some level? 
I think everyone is on the planet is dealing with toxicity in the form of chemical toxicity from our pesticides, insecticides, fertilizers, heavy metals, even because we're just breathing heavy metals in the, in the air. There's an article that just came out the other day about Santa Cruz and yeah. you're going to Santa Cruz tomorrow and I live here that there's toxic levels of mercury in the fog in Santa Cruz and it's killing mountain lions. Wow. So it's, it's mercury is not, it's not the thing that's crippling every single person, but I can guarantee that heavy metals, that the removal of heavy metals, working on someone's gut and gut health and replenishing flora, killing viruses and parasites will only improve someone's health. I can't say that it's the most important thing for every person's journey, mm-hmm. but I can guarantee that you put energy into that box and it will make a difference in someone's life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. Cause that, that definitely applies across the board. It kind of, if, if it doesn't bring the boat to Harbor, at least it raises the tides a little bit so you can find yeah. your way back home. So, yeah. so what are some of the the best practices when it comes to detoxing? What are, what are some of like the simple checkpoints? Like, Hey, you got to start looking at this right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the we'll start with the most, most simple things that aren't going to irritate people or make them feel like they have to dramatically change their life. I would say avoiding the big culprits. So avoiding alcohol, avoiding gluten, homogenized dairy, refined sugars, trans fats. I personally feel that lectins, plant lectins are really unhealthy. Things that are actually found in nuts, seeds, beans, and grains, depending on how they're cooked. So most people who are vegans are eating tons and tons of plant lectins, and it's really inflammatory for the body. So I think checking out a lectin avoidance diet is for sure a solid piece of the equation. Avoiding toxins in the home. So laundry detergents, soaps, shampoos, makeups, all the kitchen supplies. Basically, you go to your bathroom, your kitchen, and your laundry room and you switch everything to plant-based ingredients. It's so easy and the same price. I mean, mm-hmm. not it's a little more expensive, but it's easy. You, Whole Foods has things for every one of those departments, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this is stuff that's going into our plates or into our silverware that we eat with, stuff that's going onto our skin, which goes into our blood, stuff that, yeah, skin, teeth, right? People are using fluoride toothpaste. Fluoride is actually a byproduct of aluminum manufacturing, and it's a known neurotoxin that calcifies the pineal gland. So I would say avoiding fluoride, fluoride toothpaste and chemical toothpastes. So all of that's the easy stuff, right? That's not like doesn't take a huge dramatic amount of life force to to accomplish. And again, this is stuff that that may not take care of everything, but it's going to it's going to at least improves in some areas set a better foundation for you. Right? It stops the avalanche. Like, yeah. the, <laughs> like basically if a snowball is coming down a mountain and gaining traction, more and more power, you just kind of stop that. Mm-hmm. And then you allow yourself to like your body to stop taking on this level of toxins every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then things like taking things to the next level. I really like coffee enemas. I really like salt water flushes. You can YouTube my channel for both of those. I really like superfoods like marine phytoplankton and shilajit and pine pollen and maca and colostrum. Ants. I love ants. This is a, a company called Lost Empire Ants. The guy actually lives in Santa Cruz. You know, all of these foods that I just mentioned have so many minerals and vitamins that it puts vegetables to shame. Because mm-hmm. here's another problem. A problem that we're dealing with as a collective is that our soils are depleted, especially in America because of the way that we do, the way that we farm and we don't let the land rest. And we also have monocropped farms. So we have an entire 30, 50 acre development that's just growing carrots. The problem with that is that a carrot pulls the same nutrients out every single time. Mm. There's no diversity. There's no ecosystem there. 
the way nature intended for us. So over the years, the soils are left with nothing. Mm. And because of that, our vegetables are left with nothing. So most people are nutrient deficient. So I like those foods and, and many more that I list on my website to replenish the body that is starving for minerals, starving because we've been eating crappy for most of our lives. I know I did when I was a kid. So that's, those are some tricks. I have many more up my sleeve. I don't know how deep yeah. I'm going to it. Well, that was good. I think, you know, for, for a lot of that starter stuff, like you said, like you alluded to, you've got links for the website. We'll definitely make sure we drop that in the notes. And I, I imagine you've got some sort of programs or, yeah. or materials for people to, to jump into. So they can jump into that based on where you're at and your healing, detoxification, sure. health purification journey. I, I'm wondering a little bit, uh, so I've got specific questions. Sure. You know, obviously, this is all under the assumption that we're, we're doing everything organic, non-GMO to the best of our ability, right? That's just yeah. right off the top. Right. Uh, what, what about water? I know water is a, is a big deal. So are there different, is there an optimal water? I mean, I hear most people are dehydrated, operating in oh, a dehydrated yeah. state. Most people are drinking tap water. And if they're, if they're ahead of the game, they're using like a Brita filter, which quite frankly, doesn't do much. Tap water, you can see common science. There's no, there's no way this isn't like a voodoo, um, not voodoo, um, esoteric information or like woo woo. It's just the literally common science even acknowledges that pharmaceutical drugs are in tap water. Heavy metals are in tap water. Chlorine, other chemicals are in tap water. So tap water is for sure not the route. In my opinion, there are three excellent waters to be drinking. The best water one can drink, I feel, is natural spring water from the earth, where you go on findaspring.com and find a local spring and drink from a spring that you can literally fill up on the side of the road. You go to on a hike and fill up water. You can also get spring water delivered to you, like a company like Mountain Valley or Starkey. Spring water is loaded with life force and loaded with, with minerals and prana from the earth. It takes sometimes centuries for water to come up from an aquifer. And, and when you see that water coming out of the earth, that water can be have taken centuries to get there, sometimes even longer. So sometimes thousands of years. It's really beautiful to, to be drinking that kind of water. It's God's gift to the earth, I feel. If you can't do that, it's difficult for many people. I like distilled water. So I have my own distiller. And a distilled water is basically boiled water. And once water boils, it can, and comes down a pipe and, and it turns back into liquid and you're left with basically pure H2O. So all of the toxicity and all of the stuff that's not helpful and all of the inorganic minerals are left in the distiller and you're left with pure H2O. Some people think that distilled water is not helpful because it pulls, it leaches minerals from the body. But from all of my research and all the experts that I've talked to, it only pulls inorganic minerals from the body, which the body doesn't need anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think distilled water is very, very powerful. You can buy a distiller for 500 bucks and never have to pay for water again, except for electricity. And distilled water can treat a wide range of health problems, in my opinion. A huge range of issues are coming from crystals and acids and all of this toxicity buildup in the body that distilled water goes and grabs and pulls out of the body. Mm. So most people think it's just for vehicles. Distilled water is just pure H2O. That's all it is. It's H2O and people mm -hmm. are afraid to drink it. Yeah. So, and then the other thing would be RO water. RO water would be like a third place, reverse osmosis water. And then there's a million things you can do to water like clusters and hydrogen and all these other things. But I think the go-to is spring and distilled water. Yeah. On a simple level. Yeah. So, so just my interest around 
the way distilled water can pull some of these inorganic min- minerals out of the body, like mm-hmm. like a cleansing process. Mm-hmm. If 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 I never drank distilled water, if I just drank tap water, and then all of a sudden I switched to distilled, what are some things that I might want to look out for or, or you <laughs> be, be aware of? Yeah. Diarrhea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At the most basic level, if you were to just basically do distilled water and lemon and have the the juice of like three lemons per day to like start a cleanse and just do that every single day, you'll have diarrhea. You'll probably have a headache for like four or five days and you'll be pooping a lot more than usual and your pee will stink as well. Because hmm. it's just pulling all that it's nasty, gnarly, years and stuff decades out. of stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's also, you can see the calcification, even just uh, on your, like if you have glasses that you use over and over again, it, th- there's residue from water that just shows up on the things around us. And yeah, I used to just chalk it up to, ah, oh, it's just the glass that's getting old, but it's like these, these inorganic materials are actually living and dwelling on, on the stuff that we that we use to transport it every day. So you just multiply that by days and, and how many glasses of water have you consumed over a lifetime? And it's, it's a big deal, man. So I, yeah. I think for if, if you guys are listening and you haven't gotten into any of this yet, you've never done a cleanse or anything like that, obviously something that you should, you know, we, I guess we got to say the whole medical thing, right? You yeah. Gotta always yeah, check yeah. in with your doctor. I'm just a Make, detox dude. I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no MDs on this show, but definitely, you know, under the, under the guise of somebody who, who knows, who knows what they're doing and who's, who's done this stuff before. So this is, it's, it's good to have these resources and even just begin the conversation. Cause I think a lot of people it's, it's happening on a, on a subconscious, unconscious basis. We're not really, there's so many other things we're focused on in our life. The, where our water's coming from is not something we think about often. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah man. So as we start to bring this conversation back to, back to whole, it's been a great journey, man. I've enjoyed just getting to know a little more about you and how you found your body of service and your wisdom that you're carrying and bearing for the world. You know, I asked you before we started recording, if you had a singular message that was on your heart that you wanted men out there to hear. Mm-hmm. And we, we alluded to some of the parts of your journey and your darkness. And you said, I just, wanna, I just want guys to know that there's always a way out. You said that and I wrote it down and I underscored it. I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to that and what you mean when you say that. Yeah. There's always a, maybe the better way to put it is there's always a way in. <laughs> there's <laughs> always, the, nothing is ever going to last forever. No amount of darkness, no amount of pain, no matter how much your mind is hooked into it and how much you think that it's forever. I got to tell you, like I was in a freaking prison. I was in a torturous prison for three and a half years and I feel more free now than almost anyone I know. Mm. My piece to people is that you will overcome it. You will get to the other side of it. It takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline, but there's, it's a process. It's a spiritual process. And that again, nothing is forever. And as dark as your dark is, your light will be. Mm. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. I, when you said that, I knew we had to mention that here because with mm-hmm. all the conversation about depression, everybody's going through their own dark night of the soul that I think we can we can find relatable points and commonalities, specifically when we go into that conversation of emotion, right? The the emotion of anger, I think the whatever causes anger to come about may be different, but the experience of anger I find is often the same. You can you can see anger in somebody, you can see fear, you can see see sadness, dejection in people. And the details may be different, but we we all feel that in the same way. When you said there's always a way out, I remember feeling I wasn't in the same exact position as you, but I remember feeling that place like, man, something's got to change because I can't do this like this anymore. 
I, I definitely can't do this forever. And I don't know how many more days I have in me of living my life this way, mm-hmm. of living my life in my darkness, feeling like I don't know who I am or what my life is for. And the way out for me, or the way in, <laughs> I like that, the way in was curiosity. What is this actually, this thing I'm experiencing, what is it actually about? What is it actually connected to? And that's what led me a lot on my journey of discovering mm-hmm. who I am and asking these harder questions, realizing that I was only seeing the parts of myself that I wanted to see. I wasn't really getting curious and investigating. And and that's where men's teams and men's circles really helped me out. Because finally I was with guys that said, hey, it's, it's okay for you to be exactly who you are here. Mm-hmm. No, really. No, really. It's okay. You be that guy because I know I, I get that guy. But be that guy here so we can show you what you're not seeing. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that was, that was the way in that's, that's where I found my way. And I've also found a lot of value with many of the things you talked about on a strategic level with drinking better water, mm-hmm. <laughs> eating better foods. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, growing up in New Jersey, man, I, I was, we had McDonald's on Tuesday and we had Burger King on Thursday and sometimes a bonus on the weekends. And I grew up on Kraft macaroni and cheese. I thought, I thought top ramen was actually a meal, yep, me too. <laughs> you, you know, in those, TV dinners, you know, so if I could survive, you know, 20, 25 years of eating that way and then, you know, flipping my life around, then anybody out there can do it too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome, man. I appreciate you bringing everything you had on here. Before I let you go, I've got a couple of lightning questions and then you can give us all the details on where we can find you, follow you and work with you. Sure. You ready to, ready to do the lightning round? Lightning. What's that? Speed questions? Yeah. Like right off the cuff, man, Let's do whatever it. you got Let's do yeah, it. from the gut. <laughs> all right. So. What is the one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew back when you were 18? Love. Love. Cool. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity. Mm. Tell me why. I feel that all we have is our word. Mm. Everything else is nonsense. Not nonsense, but everything else is, can be interpreted. Everything else can be changed. If we have our word and our word is intact... I feel that's the most powerful, beautiful place to be as a man. Mm. If people can trust your word, that's the value. I love that, man. Awesome. Last but not least, man, where do you want the good people to go to follow you, to join up with the detox dudes and and get their guts feeling good and (laughs) all that? Check out thedetoxdudes.com. And you can also check out my YouTube channel, The Detox Dudes. I also just made a new channel, which I'm really excited about because Google and YouTube is really shutting down is they're making it really difficult for alternative health and they're shutting down a lot of subjects and compressing videos and whatnot. So anyway, I made a new channel called Mason, your face, which is M A C I N your face. My last name, your face, Mason, your face. And uh, so I have those two YouTube channels. The detox dudes is much, much bigger and I've been doing it for much longer, but yeah. Awesome, man. Well, clearly you have a well of wisdom and knowledge to bring out there, man. So any of you guys who are listening, definitely jump on board with this dude. I could tell even just from this last hour of getting to know you a little deeper, man, that you, you're, you're all heart. You're all heart and you're coming from a good place. I look forward to catching up with you further down the road, man. We got to have that episode where we just talk about <laughs> being from the East Coast and coming out West yeah. and what that's all about. <laughs> all right. I'm down. I'm down. Sign me up. Awesome, brother. Well, I'll definitely come drop in on you next time I'm up in Santa Cruz and I got For some sure. time. And um, if you're ever down here in Santa Barbara, man, definitely swing through. would love to have you. For sure, man. Thank you for having me on. Awesome, brother. Be well. I don't know about you, but I learned a lot in this episode, aside from just Josh's incredible journey and how he found his way into his own healing without giving up. You know, I think that's an important motif there, that 
as long as you don't give up and there's breath in your body and you're upright, you're vertical, you're walking on this planet, then you're in the game. You're in the fight. You're not you're not losing unless it's game over, unless the lights are out and you're six feet under. The fact that he never gave up, the just the testament of resilience and what it takes to overcome our challenges sometimes. And on top of that, just all the information he gave about detoxing and different substances to avoid and air quality issues, it was just very informative. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Anything that you heard about in this episode you wanna learn more about, you can get it all in the show notes. All the links, all the resources are over at risingman.org. Make sure while you're over there, you sign up for our Rising Man Fire Circles and apply to be a part of our Compass Initiation going out this spring. All of that is at risingman.org. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast especially if it's on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you're at. Drop some comments. Let us know what you love about The Rising Man. What do you love about this episode? What do you love about our message and the mission that we're carrying right now? Let us know because I love hearing it. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Rising Man Movement, where we got all those Monday morning meditation videos coming live at you from now until the end of The Rising Man Movement. Shout out to Sean Offenbach, my man Rowan Tyne, Julian Subic, and Mark Rose. Wouldn't be able to do it without my power squad if you don't have a power squad then go get one it's called the rising man fire circle just one more quick knock on that one until next time rise up and claim your destiny